old, out here on his own now Trying to figure out what he wanna do with his life now Before toting the gun, yeah, toting the knife now The world's a cold place, bye-bye to Mr. Nice Guy Thinking that he's a Big Mac, but he's a soft fry Looking at movies with ambitions of moving big pies 90% of what you see in here is all lies You can break the spell, just look inside your own mind Still following, where's the leadership, man? Way Garvey, way Malcolm, Martin Luther King On your ass, man. Never see the light of day. Shooting that was done in the past, he got away with Instead of getting the job, rather be pulling quick licks Temporary mind frame, that's only a quick fix Play you making millions with life, you want a quick pick The grind before hustle format is not gonna fix this Knowledge yourself is the only thing you're missing When OGs talk, little homie, you need to listen You're still following, where's the leadership, man? Way Darby, way Malcolm, Martin Luther King Yeah, he's stunning that he trying to get the quick change Anything in homes while people gone One day realize that them people home Pop, pop, bullets flying through the spot When the police hit the scene And you're dead on the couch yeah. Tour support. 
This leaves the artist $425,000 in debt to the record label. And then this debt gets carried on to the next album, the next album, and the next album. All right, so uh, this is another episode of Attrition Wars podcast, and it's the crown jewel season. Like I said in the intro, uh, tonight we're joined by two of my PNCs, my partners in combat, uh, the, new, the newest partner in combat, uh, newest member to the show panel, uh, American McCornard's Young Drizzle. Uh, he's going to be joining alongside of King Thanos Fist, a.k.a. King L. Ray. And we're going to continue dropping some more of that Universal Swagger Vention. We're going to be Swagger Vening, uh, dispelling a lot of fiction in this rap game. So we're going to, we're going to address it. We're going to start, uh, later on, we're going to start, we're going to start undressing this rap game, but we're going to start off talking to Young Drizzle. Uh, like I said, I want to welcome you to the show. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, appreciate it, bro. Appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. Without a doubt. Glad to have you, man. So I just want to really try to get in a little bit into your background, man. I know you're from South Carolina, man wide range of musical inspiration, man, and uh, some of the things I want to get into. Uh, if you could, man, start, maybe tell me, I know you live in Atlanta now, man, so if you want to start out, man, it says you uh, uh, you, you, you were off into the uh, into the choir and stuff when you were young, man, so you go back, uh, you know, to the youth and to the toddler stage uh, as far as with this music game. Uh, yeah. Well, well, basically, man, like I said, man, I mean, like I said, I grew up in the church, man, and um, okay, the old church, you know, where where they had the old hardwood floors, you know what I'm saying, and it wasn't no band or nothing. You had to just beat your feet, you know what I'm saying, on the ground to make your feet, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, I just growing up like that, man, and I really feel like that was really, 
back then it was really tapping into the spirits. You know what I'm saying? Not to knock nobody now how churches are because you know everything must grow. But you know, back then that 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 old school vibe, man, it just really felt like you was you was really summoning the spirits back then. You know what I'm saying? And and basically, man, I just I grew up in the church. Um, like I said, my my grandmother, she was the Eastern Star. So she used to always sit down and tell me all kind of, you know, enlightened stories about the world and how things are. And, and it was just it was very interesting, man. And, and and basically being able to grow up into that and and then start getting into actually reading music and and writing music. Um, it, it, was, it was real interesting, man, growing up. Uh, you want to talk about some of the some of the hardships maybe that you might have endured, you know, during that transition? Um, it's crazy that you uh, that you asked that question. Um, I was talking with uh, General Men, uh, who's also uh, on uh, Indigenous Entertainment. And today we were talking about how, like back then, doing those struggles and making a transition from... Uh, one state to another, even though I did have family there, you know, I'm I'm never one of the ones that always depended on somebody. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't want to be a burden on somebody. And we were talking today about just looking back how people might have looked at it like we didn't want to work. And it wasn't just that we didn't want to work because it's easy to get a job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's easy to fall back into that, but during during that time, we were just really trying to perfect our craft and really just just tap into everything. You know, what I'm saying this, you're a new city, trying to meet people. You know, that's during the time of you know the outcasts and you know some other guys around that time was coming out or out, and you know just really just trying to just get out there, man. And just you know, freak meat was real big around that time and. You're just trying to get out and meet people and that's basically what it was for years and i met a lot of like people that was on the outskirts you know the Gwinnett counties and you know uh smyrna and some of them were downtown and uh just really not having studios because i didn't have equipment at that time so i just ended up just kind of like hooking up with some guys and uh that's when i really got into actually producing music and you know like I said, one guy, uh, he gave me uh, MPC 60, and that was one of the old, one of the older first uh, MPCs, man. And he gave me that thing in a Proteus uh, 2000, and man, I just went to work, man, and just started doing stuff like that, doing those struggles, you know, sleeping in studios, and you know, even though I. Every now and again, I would have a job with, I mean, I would quit, man, because I'm like, man, I'm missing something. I can't get into this right here. You know, I'm, I'm missing, you know, I'm missing on my gift. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so my iron or whatever, you know, with the traditional, you know, work thing, you know, I just didn't want to be a burden on her. So I just moved into the studio and just really just dug into my craft. And, and I allowed those guys at that time, uh, actually, I respect those guys. And, um, I'm glad they gave me the opportunity to be able to just stay there. They didn't ask me for any money or anything. They just they just want me to just do music, man. And and it, it was it was interesting. It was cool. Met a lot of people. You know, of course, a lot of uh, promises that you know wasn't fulfilled. And and 
that's when you kind of got into the music as far as on the business side and realizing that uh you know maybe i should just be more self-contained and not really count on people so much so yeah like i said go ahead yeah uh no i just wanted to uh reset for all the listeners you're listening to trish awards podcast that's young dress i'm talking talking about his uh transition begins of his music career or early days uh, coming into Atlanta, uh, leaving his home city of uh, Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, give us a little bit of background, man. So I wanted to kind of transition into, you know, right where you're at and to, you know, talk about maybe some of those first, I, I, I know it was difficult being in a new city uh, and trying to break into the music game. Uh, you know, those are two humongous feats uh, stacked on top of each other, man. So talk about some of those early connections that you made. I mean, I don't know if you remember maybe first gig or some of your first gigs, some of the things that you did early on as far as uh, uh, any kind of live performances or anything that you do when you were breaking into that um, down there in Atlanta. Man, let me tell you, man. Some of those times were crazy. Um, I remember the times of like being at Justin's uh, uh one of the guys he was doing valet and at Justin, uh, one of the guys that we knew, and we used to go to work with him every day. And then eventually, we just started working and started valeting. <laughs> but we we would ride to work with him, and we would, we would perform outside, really? like yeah, like curbside. We would perform outside and just in front of Justin. That's live. And but during those times, like people wasn't like how it is today like with the sing rapping and everything mixing the hip-hop with the r&b people wasn't really doing it like that like the way that the way that we're the way, the way that we were doing it and the way that we're still doing it to this day and you know i'm not gonna take the credit for anybody you know because music always you know elevate and grow but man the stuff that people doing now man we been doing that man it's crazy and uh, you can kind of like hear it in the music like I, don't, I really don't sound like I'm following nobody like I, I have my own lane right. you know and, and, and that's where it is with that I mean we performed live at um, I don't know if, if King remembers the atrium back in the day remember that King <laughs> of course yeah <laughs> yeah man <laughs> the old atrium we used to perform at the atrium um we did some shows at uh, with Atlanta Live, mm-hmm. so like it, it was it was pretty cool, man. A lot of people, man. The music I just felt like at that time the stuff that we were doing was so different that people would just look like, "Wow, man, it sounds good," but um, I don't know where this is going. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and now, years later, when you look back on it, it's like people started doing what we were doing. So in order to kind of like reinvent ourselves, we had to set ourselves aside. And when I say we, I'm talking about um, indigenous entertainment and, and what mm-hmm. we stand for. And just basically re- 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 reinventing ourselves into something that where we could be, like you said, high resonance music, man. Something that has substance, uh, talks about real life issues, um, and, try, and, and clean music as well. Like, we don't really do a lot of dirty music and stuff like that. I mean, I, I really like where we're going right now. And um, I, I'm not really concerned about getting a major deal 
or stuff like that. I mean, it's just, I, I love being independent and autonomous. And that's where we are. That's what's up, man. That's, that's, that's good stuff, man. And, uh, why, why you, why you're right there, man? Let's just transition into maybe some of the origins of of that uh, original connection between you and King, man. How did you hear about the indigenous entertainment um, and King El Rey, what he was doing, and maybe just talk a little bit about some of y'all first meetings and uh, conversations. Well, um, like I say, um, General Man, he put me on okay. to uh, King, and. Um, <clears throat> We had a couple of visits and stuff like that. And um, he was just telling me about, the, I guess, the science of water and, you know, everything that it does and and what we need to be doing uh, as far as like mentally and what we should be doing as far as uh, physically. And just talking more and basically I, I kind of became like an understudy under him and just soaking in all the knowledge that I could from him to get to the point where I am today um, and it, the rest has been history man I mean that's my brother you know he's always been fair and square with me and um, our team is small but our team is strong very strong but like it's getting stronger too oh yeah <laughs> alright man I want to talk about some of your goals and stuff man as far as where you want to go but before that I'm, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, you know Youth, uh, how how involved are you with uh, in the in the uh, youth in the community? Are you are you involved in any kind of community activities? Uh, you involved in any, uh, youth sports, anything like that? Well, um, I'm involved in the youth sports, but I really don't have the time, uh, especially with the things that I'm doing now. But uh, more so, uh, boys and okay. girls club. And and right now we're more involved into um, basically like uh, cleaning up the um, I guess state parks and stuff like that downtown areas and doing a lot of um, uh, projects downtown as far as like we actually just with uh, Lunatic Motorcycle Bike Club I did a venture with them and actually we just got our sign as far as uh, as far as the different areas that we were able to basically do um, highway cleanup and stuff like that. So it's just a lot of little different little projects that I'm working okay. on right now. Okay, so, I mean, moving forward, man, you know, I, we know we got high hopes here at uh, Indigenous Entertainment, uh, Trishan Wars Podcast, IWB.coop. And uh, I definitely want to talk about some of, you know, some of your goals. Yeah, so I, no, I was just um, I was taking in what you're saying, man, and with the whole with the with the high resonance with that connect, uh, it's definitely somewhere you want to be, man, with, with with King and what he's doing, man. Now, how how versed are you with the the other side of the business side of the ledger, man? Because I know some of the he had some conversations with me about some of the, some of what y'all was brainstorming about um, a few things that that you guys had talked about as far as uh, when we were setting up the show and. Uh, Moving forward, you know, some of what you touched on just a few minutes ago about trying to help people along in the industry. Um, what's some what's some of your other motivations uh, besides music, though? Man, I have a lot of motivations, man. Uh, um, this, <clears throat> like this one, when I first met King, right? Let me tell you this, not to get off the subject, but because uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back around to your question. 
I used to be like, man, King, King used to be like, what you want to do or whatever? And I'd be like, man, I want to do this right here. He'd be like, man, we can't do that right there, man. That sounds nice, but that's still on the domestic <laughs> level. <laughs> and then he'd say, think of something else. And then it'd take days or whatever. And I'd come back and be like, yeah, I want to do this. And he's like, yeah, man, that's cool, but that's on the domestic level. So basically, like everything, everything, I got to the point now where anything that I want to do, I definitely have to make sure that it's something that's right and something that's for me that's not on a domestic level and something that I can say that I really truly own. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, with that, I mean, that's why I got into the IWB co op uh, with the water. Um, it's a lot of things that, projects and stuff that he's working on that he's you know we talked about um uh i don't know if i can mention it right now or whatever i don't know but um like i say, it's just a lot of projects i don't i don't know if i can mention it right now <laughs> well you can wanna, you know <laughs> you can you can mention you know what's going on because we are doing a lot of things and i've been saying different things on the podcast to get people calibrated to just the whole movement that we have, you know, because we have our hands in a lot of things and it's about helping people grow and evolve and develop artists in the world of business. Uh, cooperative economics has been the primary topic. So we, you know, we have a lot of things going on and my objective is just to put us in the positions of power that we should be in and everybody be happy you know with what they're doing what their strengths are what their overall goal and objective is and everybody kind of get a idea of how i feel about public policy versus the private sector and domestic versus being global Because these guys just want to deal. Like, even you look at the guys now mm. that that's probably big right now with social media. I just seen they had N NBA Young Boy. He's the biggest YouTuber, mm. you know, for his influencer. Music. Wow, influencers for his music. But think about the deals that this generation is doing. Yeah. So he did a deal. I looked at it. If I would have been on his team, he did a deal for two million dollars for five records. So think about that. You got the money up front, but imagine what they get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have to teach that to the next generation. Look at the bigger picture. Don't just look at the now. And that's what I did. I was like, man, yeah, that, that million dollars look good right now, but what about 10 years from now? Right. You know, I wouldn't be able to live like I live yeah. right now. And a taxable million and yeah. a recoupable million. Yeah. And a, you know what I'm saying? They yeah. hand you a million. You it's think, advanced. I'm rich, I'm gone. Yeah. That's a write-off for them. Yeah, man. You think about it. But you done sold your soul to a 360 deal that you have no knowledge of. Because you in the ghetto, you like. A 360 deal, meaning 360 degrees, it's all-encompassing. So that... You have many, 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 many people reaching into your wallet in many different things that you do. So normally the old school model was you'd sign a contract, the record company would give you a budget, they would shoot a video, you would be obligated to them for everything that was spent, including all the dinners that they took you to that you didn't know you were buying. But, you know, your video budget, your album budget, and whatever else, you know, that you, you incur along the way. And you have to pay that back to them in sales before they would begin to pay you your royalty as an artist. Well, your artist royalty typically comes off the net, and it's, I think it's off the net, and it's, uh, oh, you might get 
I'm trying to think what you might get. Maybe 10 points if you're lucky, 10%, which they would then, you know, begin to chisel away at. But that's not enough anymore for record companies. They want it all. So what they do now is when you go perform, you know, they're going to they're gonna take a percentage of that. They're going to take a percentage of your writing. They're going to get into your publishing. They're going to get into your merchandise. So they're going to get into anywhere that you make money, they're there taking their piece of it. From the way I understand, the majority of them are structured, if they're structured correctly and fairly, once the record company recoups, then they, they get out of that and they just stay within the bounds of your CD, which is where they should be. But in sympathy and defense to them, the costs today of breaking an artist are monumental. Their acts down there that work, they work a lot. They, they do an album a year, they sell 30 to 50,000 records at $15 a piece. Do the math. So they take that, take that what it costs them to make it, and they don't spend over $30,000 to make a record, trust me. And you got nearly half a million dollars there coming in. They do this every year. They have their own merchandise, and, and if you do your merchandise right, your merchandise will bring you as much as your concert fees, or in some cases, double. So, I mean, you could go out and you could do a show for 100000 you could sell $200,000 of merchandise. You could do a show for 2500 if you're on an opening act scale, you could sell 5000 in merchandise. That helps pay diesel, you know, it's expensive out there. So whatever you can do to market yourself, and boy, I mean, there's so many tools today, it's, it's incredible. At the time that you were, you know, you were heavily involved in the music industry, there's no such thing as 360 deals, but right now 360 deals are more common. Do you think that there's something inherently wrong with 360 deals? 100%. They're giving away what, what usually happens is when you sign a record deal, because it's corporate money, they spend a lot of money and a lot of people get paid and you don't really have too much margin. But everybody gets paid but the artist. And the artist is cool with that because that's the commercial for them to go make their money selling their merch, which is their t-shirts, and make their money from their show. Now, you can't, I own your ass on the road and your clothes, and also every time you make money from endorsements. So you actually telling someone to give up their whole entire behind. And they, don't, they shouldn't. And I've watched them trick people into thinking that, that after they built their foundation and they have their show, and all the exposures done that they need them to go to the next level and then have them sell their whole entire behind away. 360, whole, whole 360 degrees of your ass, pause, away, just because of a trick. And now you gotta ask a person or you have to say things like, the label lets me do this and that. Like when you say, somebody can never say, an artist is signed to me. That doesn't sound correct to me. I have partnerships with people, which I've always done. I believe a man should always be able to be a man. So I do 50-50 ventures no matter what. I never do, I sign you, I own you. I don't do that. The mentality doesn't sound right. People accepting that doesn't sound right. People being proud of that doesn't sound right. It's aggravating. Maybe because I'm aware and no one else is, but if you look back at all these YouTube tapes, every single thing I'm saying 10 years ago, I'm saying it now. But just everyone thought I was crazy 10 years ago. So I'm not crazy now? My, my message is consistent. I walk it like I talk it. Pause. I don't, I'm not saying I agree with Fidel, but I pulled a cue, but like, I'm not messing with nobody. I just, my whole thing is vertical, and I have a whole television network that reflects that, and you can see everything I've been doing while I've been slave broke. 
And slave broke is when someone that has a job considers you broke because you don't have any liquid because all your money's in your businesses and your real estate and you got cash flow and independence. That's like a, a, a slave's fear. He's like, that's broke. But I'm independent rich. Period. So I could be slave broke. I'll be slave broke all day. Anyone that says I'm broke, I am broke. I'm slave broke. But I feel indie rich. You know, I'm living a good life and I get to take care of my kids. And that's, to me, all that counts. Indie rich is what I want. Slave broke is whack. Drizzle, we in here. Yeah, I guess the government, man, shit me out when I was talking about... Uh... <laughs> Non-public policy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens sometimes. So yeah, we we in here. You can um, you know, you can speak freely here, and uh, we we was speaking about just the overall movement. You know, we of course we got a very diverse movement, and our approach is always going to be autonomous and independent, and it's going to always be on a global scale rather than you know domestic and local so uh, you was doing well with that um you know and everybody know our views and position as for for as like um private sector versus public policy so you know it's just a totally different movement and we want to like address some things to show people the difference in between public policy and uh and the private sector and why the private sector and the global approach is much more effective okay yeah you can uh you can proceed uh uh d more uh with whatever uh questions you have for us well, I definitely. Have, I mean, before we go any farther, man, I want to tell you I have posted. Uh, I posted your bio and uh, posted your track. I got you posted on my website, MMAH.com. Um, at some point over the night, I got to hit the job, so I'm gonna be up all night. But I'm gonna promote that on there, and uh, definitely then the, then the podcast will be be on there as well. Oh, um, you work. Oh, you work at night. I do. Yeah. 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 Oh shoot! I got I got to get up at four o'clock in the morning, man. So now, yeah, you yeah, you right with me, basically. That's my lunchtime, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder the sleep guards get you. Yeah, I'm saying, man. <laughs> yeah, you know they come calling with you with you on that night flight, man. I know that's right. Hey, now I say some of these people, man, they gotta understand as well, man. Hey, man. and some of us out here that's still working, man. So hey. You can you, you can pursue your dream and work at the same time. Yeah, it's all about working double time. Um, you know, got to get it in on shit on all hours of the clock for real. Hey, yeah. you know. But hey, so let me ask you this, man: Are are you a fight fan? You know, talk about the fights, man. Was you into the Deontay Wilder? Was that was a big blow up a couple months ago? We do MMA. Talk a lot of MMA over here. Well, you know, we all encompassed with all the fights and stuff, man. Is that one of your uh, one of your passions as well? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I mean, I love looking at the fights or whatever. Like, I, I don't know um, people's name by heart, but man, I definitely love to look at it. I love the energy. You right. know, uh, we always have some fight parties and stuff over here. But um, 
uh, one of my best friends. Um, he's a he's a he's a really really sports head, so he know everybody. He be explaining, man, this guy, blah blah blah. You gonna look at this? You know, I tune in and I really kind of connected with it, man, because um, a couple of years back, um, this DJ came to me and he was saying that he he was doing the sound and everything uh, for. Uh, the fighters coming out and they had a, a, a MMA fight at one of the hotels here and he had asked us to do a track uh, for one of the fighters to come out on and we did it and it was really nice it was really nice and now to be able to to be there and experience it live um, it, it was really interesting man and from that point I'm like okay I like this I like where it's going it, it's great it seemed like it's, it's a really really big growing business too man Without a doubt, they got something coming on tomorrow night too. Another uh, another event. It's gonna be down there in Jacksonville. Again, definitely check it out, man. And you got you on you on the Anchor app, so you can hit that. Uh, you can hit the profile. You can leave a message. You know what I'm saying? Shout out the show. Check into the show. We definitely put you on, you put you in there. And also, you more than welcome anytime. You feel like you want to get on. You know what I'm saying? It's it's home to you too, family. So I just want you to know that it's your table. Uh, we all will sit down and eat. Uh, time, man, and I just uh, really wanted to start undressing some of this, you know, fiction, de facto uh, stuff we got going on in this hip hop game, man, and really, you know, strip it down. Oh well, I mean, uh, as far as the industry, uh, business, like record labels, most people want to talk about that, and I guess the primary, the premier uh, record label that. You know, people would know about would probably be um, Rock Nation. Uh, you know, now and of course, you know, Bad Boy is as well. Those two, Puffy and uh, Jay Z. But one of the things that we can't address is just understanding the business, the music business, because most people do not get that. So I wanted to kind of share some stuff on what the music industry is, what the music business really is. Because most people don't get it. You know, they sign these deals and in particular 360 deals. Mm -hmm. And most people don't know what 360 deals are and they don't get the music business. So I guess I can kind of like start with somebody like one of the latest, like like a, uh, the Megan Stallion, for example, you know, she signed, she signed with 1500, which was Jay, Jay Prince's independent label. And then a company called 300. And that company is a huge, like YouTube affiliate. And then also rock nation. Now this is what is considered a 360 deal. So you may have a, a label, which is primarily a escort. And then another escort and then a management company that kind of deals with full service entertainment. And that's what Rock Nation is, like a full service entertainment company with artists like songwriters, engineers, you know, merchandise, publishing, touring and all of that, you know. And when Megan the Stallion requested to like negotiate or renegotiate her contract that's when all the hell broke loose because she don't have any power to leverage but they hate when you want to renegotiate especially when you got a 360 deal you know a 360 deal just basically means 
you have like a, a like Rock Nation being a standalone company or a liaison for the companies called labels. Now those S corps or small business corporations, they pass their corporate losses or deductions through the shareholders for tax purposes. Okay, and then with fifteen hundred and three hundred being S corps or small business corps. They they sign to a parent company or a large corporation. So the S corps, what they do is they write checks and distribute the checks to the artists. All right, Kate. The artists they sign like these exclusive deals to the label. And then that wasn't really the case with Megan because she signed with two independent labels, but they are both S corps and they work for the larger corporation, mm-hmm. which is basically Rock Nation. So basically, Rock Nation, when a deal is signed, Rock Nation get a piece of everybody's money. You know the the S corps. You know uh, the artists they get a chunk of everybody's money and they are more of the government the government agency of labels that's basically how you know rock nation operates you know and jay-z pretty much learned you know a lot of that from the people he's affiliated with like the rockefellers families that's why when you look at rock nation you'll notice that rock nation is a private limited liability company. It's not a regular limited liability company. It's a private one, which basically works for a non-government company. So it's a private limited liability company that basically governs everything in terms of artists and they get paid a number of times from all of the labels and everything that the artist does, everything the artist has, you know, from their merchandise, their their touring, um, uh, everything, their publishing, they get paid from everything. And they pretty much own everything, which is why Megan didn't have any leverage, you know, in terms of her contract, because basically they just have them as slaves in a 360 deal. So she don't really have any real resources. Everything that she have is basically something that's leased or financed. And she don't have any leveraging power because she don't have no ownership in nothing. Like her masters of her music is pretty much owned, you know, by by Rock Nation and and the uh, and the labels. She don't really have any leveraging power because she don't understand the business. And this is pretty much how 360 deals work, you know, with with all of the artists. Pretty much you had Meek Mills coming out and he was trying to get everybody to sign over to um, Rock Nation. But Rock Nation is the slick guy in it all. You know, they. They get paid on the front end, they get paid on the back end, the tax interest on the artist. They get paid from everything and they are the ones that primarily get over on everybody because they are primarily a government entity. 
you know so the llc part which is the public policy part the limit liability that's the corporate part that basically works for the government and the private part is owned by non-government organizations it could be something like the the rockefellers foundation or something you know on the private side so in essence you know the the rock nation label is primarily owned by small shareholders or you know ngos of the of the rockefellers family you know jay-z he just has a portion in the public policy side of it and basically they just rape all of the public policy artists and they take ownership and rights of all the artist stuff every artist that they have that's why it's none of the artists that they start with like when you look at puffy and bad boy you'll notice that jay-z and puffy did the same thing they don't have nobody that they started with because they play all of the artists they manipulate all the artists they strip the artists of all of their their royalties they publishing and everything and they own all of the stuff under the label unbeknown to the artist and then they get dropped from the label and then you look at somebody like puffy and um jay-z and you say dang both of them are billionaires and all of the artists that was on their label are broke because they all got 360 deals yeah a lot of them cats that was on rockefeller you know they didn't all disappear man mm-hmm. uh you know it's like they same thing with bad boy yeah same thing with bad boy oh, i was gonna say yeah. same thing with uh same thing with master p no limit Mm-hmm. One thing about Master P, he was different than than Jay Z and Puffy though, because all of the artists they all got paid well, and he taught them business and he taught them game. People like Snoop and all those guys, and he was one of the ones that was actually getting paid because he was an artist. But he did things different. He had a three sixty deal on the Universal, but he was he was actually getting paid as an artist. And then as the CEO of No Limit, but he had a 360 deal, but he was one of the few that was actually helping artists get established and get structured in a more in a more independent kind of way. He was a little bit different than them, you know, so he has a, a, you know, he has wealth and he has a, a, a platform also where he does a little bit more in terms of helping people get established in business and nobody really had any problems with master p because he paid everybody up front and everything that they ever did all the comedians all the movies all the artists he really took care of them all right man so going back to what you talking about uh rock nation man is so is I guess I think you said they formed in 2008, man. And then around the time that uh, Dame Dash has split from Rockefeller. Well, in 2008, yeah, when they formed, because prior to that, it was Def right. Jam, um, you know, and Def Jam South. And in fact, uh, I got an offer, you know, uh, they wanted to sign me to Def Jam, but I turned it down. And, you know, I started Indigenous Entertainment in 2007 and Jay-Z started Rock Nation in 2008. 
But prior to that, they had a partnership. Um, Def Jam had a partnership and Dame Dash Def Jam partnership because Dame Dash, he liked partnerships. He don't like he don't like getting into the music industry and business too much of the you know the the raping of the artists you know and this is where the conflict in between him and jay-z came into play you know because he wanted to go in one direction and jay-z wanted to go corporate on the public policy and be a government entity you know but dang dad he just wanted to stay independent he didn't want to do what jay-z was doing so they was beefing about that because basically jay-z took the route of of getting over on the artist you know that's basically what he wanted to do instead of uh help the artists or be independent do partnerships and go to the go the route that dame dash went. so talk about some of the differences i mean you already had but talk a little bit more about some of the differences between a, a, a label like indigenous entertainment versus the public policy you know for, from the artist's perspective um you know, as far as ownership and rights and, you know, uh, some similar word, you know, Drizzleman, how, how you got Drizzleman, uh, General Man established? Well, yeah, the difference, you know, with us is, is basically all the artists are owning their, their rights and they're put in positions of power, right? It's all about putting the artists in a position where they can actually become their own bosses, doing their thing differently than public policy. People are not taught how to be bosses. You find the public policy rappers talk about being bosses, but they're just slaves. They talk about what we actually do, you know, and position people where they can have their publishing have their own publishing companies, their all of their rights to their uh, to their product. You know, their product, manufactured product, they in a position of power where they can continue to eat off of their product for the rest of their lives. Now with a public policy record label like a Rock Nation, basically you're you know you're gonna give up your publishing um, you're going to give up your mastering, all your masters pretty much owned by them. You're going to give up your tour, you're like most of your tour rights and percentages. Um, they get paid from all of your merch. Anything that you do being on a public policy major label, you're getting p- played and the um, record label is getting a vast majority of the money. And you don't really have any way that you can leverage because everything that's supposed to be yours is owned by the record label. And then they decide what they're going to give you, like a 360 deal, slave deal. Like Michael Jackson was only getting six cents off of his music being in the Sony contract that he was in for all those years. And he wanted to renegotiate just as Prince wanted to renegotiate, Mariah Carey, all of them being a part of the same thing. But they wanted to renegotiate their position because the record labels were taking all of the money. 
in the 360 deal. So you had the labels, you had the management companies um, of the label taking a vast majority of the resources. So like Prince was getting six cents on his on his album releases in indigenous entertainment. Say if you was to release a project, even with like five, say like an EP or something, you may have five songs on there. From that EP under Indigenous Entertainment, you're gonna get probably around twenty dollars off of that CD, simply because you have the rights, your ownership, your rights. You got your publishing, and then you also have your your downloads, your downloads, uh, and you have your streams. So when you're with your distribution package. They download the project for whatever price it is. Okay, after they download the project, so if it's nine dollars for the project, okay, that download is gonna be the nine or ten dollars. Then with your distribution, you're gonna actually get all your royalties, your publishing, and then on top of that, you're gonna get your streams as well, and all of that is gonna be packaged in one. And you may end up getting $20, you know, from that one download of your project. You're reading that. Now, Drizzle, let me let me get you back in there, man. If you could uh, just give me your take, man, on, you know, the difference between being an artist signed to Indigenous Entertainment uh, and having that freedom and that, you know, that, that creative control uh Versus what you've seen, man, and uh, some, maybe some of the bad deals you might have avoided in the past. Maybe just give me, give, me, give me a take on things, man, as far as the difference. Um, the difference is, um, I guess you're not a slave. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like I said, you, you're just free, man. I mean, just it's you just feel free just mentally, man, to just really do what you want to do you know what i'm saying because and you're happy about doing something that you love versus it you know signing with a major and you're not eating so like it's something that you love but you it's not fun anymore and it turns into a job you know what i'm saying oh yeah and yeah and and, and that's the way like indigenous indigenous entertainment just makes us man it's just like i say we totally independent um everybody's eating and everybody just continue to grow. Um, we don't have to worry about all that other stuff, man. That's to me. That's just I, I can't see how people do it. To tell you the truth, I can't see how people do it. Um, I, I can't sell my soul for uh, some Air Jordans. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you can't forget that butthole, that 360 butthole, that anal eye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that anal eye, man, take for that. a few dollars. Take that, take that, take that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I think about like Cameo. You know how Cameo used to be doing that strange music? He would say, ow. <laughs> Yo, and that's when he getting poked in his butt. Ow. Oh man! <laughs> well, hey, you know, so I want to go into that, man. You know, uh, just talk about you know the whole selling your soul aspect. I mean, we talking about you know getting short changed, but what about you know some of these artists, man? You know, on top of giving away your craft, 
you done also sold your soul, man. You become a tool to some of these uh, labels, man, on you know, more level than one. Uh, talk about that. That's got to be a refreshing feeling, man, know that you didn't have to sell out uh, like 99% of these rappers that you're seeing on, on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the selling your soul part is really deep. You know, um, it's high, it has a satanic origin. Okay, and if you look at Jay-Z, you notice that Jay-Z follow a guy named Alistair Crowley, right. right? Like, okay, Alistair Crowley, you know, he was a Satanist. And with all of the stuff that Jay-Z went through, you know, he was uh, into what was called Anakian sex magic. Okay, now Anakian sex magic to them, they also call it of a salva gall okay and that's where the energy from your brain your spinal column to to the spirit world they feel like they could access all of that through your rectum it's a science to it okay so that's why they want to develop what they call an unbreakable bond all right through this that's why the anal sex is very very important to them because when they go through your anal they go through your spine they go through your brain they go to the umbilical the invisible part of the umbilical cord or the etheric cord where your navel when you're born the umbilical cord which is connected to a cord in the ethers on a high level and they access that by going through your anal so what they want to do is establish an unbreakable bond. And that's why they call it selling selling your soul because you sell your soul for them to do these things to you. And then they put these demons inside of you, you know, when they do that. So that's something that you're not supposed to do, but they do this in order, you know, to get quote unquote riches or get some fiat currency that's backed by nothing. So that's why these guys, when they do these things, they attack people on a spiritual level and they're not right ever again in their life. And they have this unbreakable bond that has been established and they view it as this sex magic and this sex energy being the most powerful force in the world. And they know that black people are primarily the people that carry a soul because everybody is not born with a soul. But they know that black people have what they call a surplus of soul, you know, from the soul arena. So that's what our rhythm, our music, being able to dance and rap and have resonance, do all of these different things that other people can't really do. And they want to take that from us. So when you are in poverty or in a impoverished kind of state, they will attack you when you are traumatized. They will attack you and then they'll offer you all these things. But they want you to sell your soul in exchange for this illusion of of wealth. And many of them do it because they have hard lives and they come up hard traumatized and that's why they always want people to tell a story about them a traumatizing story because a great story goes really well with the selling of the soul so if you haven't been through nothing if you haven't had a rough childhood 
been through a whole lot of trauma, been abused, abandoned. You know, they don't really want you as an artist because they can't get you to give your soul up to them. If you grew up on a positive and righteous side, you automatically going to say no to the things that they will provide to you. But many of them are not willing to say no and they don't know the value of their soul. You know, so when we look at it, we say, okay, well, why do they want your soul so bad? Because many of them are born without souls. They are soulless people. And what they want to do is get your soul and your essence inside of their body so they can live forever. They want eternal life because they know that that is something that you were born with, born with natural soul and rhythm, you know, in your heart. That's why a lot of black babies, you know, are born with heart murmurs. The reason why black babies are born with heart murmurs, because most of the, the families are divided and they're separated. So if you have a male and a female coming together and they are at odds while this baby is being born, it's a hole that's in the heart of the baby because that's where your soul come in. They call it the sinoatrial node. The sinoatrial node is where the soul resides in the black man. This is why they like to kill the black man. They're intimidated because they study this. They study the soul essence and your soul God quality. You know, so the people who are in the Illuminati, they know that you come from a high etheric realm of sun gods and deities in a greater world with with soul and power and melanin and everything that they don't have. And they jealous of that thing that you have since they got all this technology. They capture it. They just have a spirit. They don't have a soul. So they try to take the soul from the people who have a surplus of soul. And that's why they like to kill us just like Amar, Arbery and all of them. They like to kill us because they are jealous of how we are born. And the unfortunate thing is we don't know the value of our own lives and our own soul. And eternal life, but they do. They know the value of it and they want it by any means necessary. And unfortunately, a, a lot of our people give that up. Man, it's crazy because, uh, and you and I talked about, you know, the year 2000, it seemed like things changed, man. We couldn't really, um, you know, exactly pinpoint some things. We know, we know these uh, demonic but pirates took over at one point, and it seemed like that's when it kind of started, man. But uh, talk about the talk about the frequency of the music, man. I mean the high, the whole high resonance because what you're saying is you know they're using it as a as a means to basically extract your soul, extract your energy, you know, from the business side of it. Talk about the actual music, man, and what the frequency and and how that changed at one point from uh, you know one frequency to the other, man, and and this, and then the significance of them changing that frequency. Well, the significance of changing the frequency is to lower your vibration you know that's why we hear a lot of dumb music or a lot of dumb shit come out mm -hmm. because they program it they program the music they lower the megahertz like real high resonance music is 800 megahertz all right 800 megahertz and where your brain and your heart should be okay so you have when you have a soul 
you have the heartbeat, you have your eardrums and you have vocal cords. So your whole body is basically an instrument that makes music. So when you listen to the tone of your voice, okay, like our voices have a have a bass tone to them. Like your voice is deep. It has a soul quality to it. Okay, when you listen to other people, you notice that other people, they have a very high pitch voice with no bass in their voice. It's nothing like what we are. That's why they hate that soul quality. So when people walking by and they be like, hi, you, you know, with no <laughs> substance, with no bass, they don't have no soul in them. So when they look at you, they saying, man, you got everything. You got soul, your body, your voice is a musical instrument. Y'all can make music. Y'all do all this stuff. And y'all destroy every genre of music that there is with what you do, what you were born with. So they change the the frequency so it'll be low, low frequencies and low vibrations. That's why it's hard. It's hard for us to listen to a lot of the stuff that comes out now. Now, before before that, in the in the 70s, 80s and 90s, those three um, periods, the music had substance and i'm gonna just say like when malachi malachi you're my mentor who talk about music on tamare okay he talked about the frequency of music in the 50s and it's another guy uh that some of you you know can research is is sun ra malachi and sun ra they had music and the frequency of music on a different level. So when you look at Sun Ra, you notice that Sun Ra's music was on a very, very high level because that music basically was brought from another world. And that's why they called it soul music during that time period, because it came down in the 50s. You know, so Malachi was saying that in the 50s, um, the Anunnaki basically brought music down to this planet to realign things that's why from the 50s and the 60s you notice that black people were into soul music you notice that they were very vibrant they had afros they were about resisting the fiction and the matrix it was about black power and all these things from that substance of that music now you had other evil deities or evil beings that knew that about the music so and you notice that the music changed it changed a lot from what came down these so the 60s were the soul era where all the soul music came out and then in 70s hip-hop was a sample of all that soul music all the music was sampled it went from the 80s into the 90s and you notice that that sampling stopped in the year 2000 real music was no longer resonating all crazy music no substance no soul now how that happened according to what malachi was saying there were some records and there were some tablets that were stolen called a scroll of eyes these tablets that these beings or these disagreeable entities got access to and they altered our music they altered different things in our story in the two in the year 2000 moving forward so they got access to certain tablets and you notice that everything changed people started being drag queens cross-dressing the power started going into these 
androgynous beings and all these different things that change from the 60s, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. It was it was a different element. Hip hop was different. The sound was different. You always had that soul element. You had MCs that was rhyming. But in the year 2000, you said like, man, something happened. Something really happened because no more soul music, no more substance, no more real music. You got drag queens and this whole agenda being pushed by these disagreeable entities. So this is something that I knew about in uh, in the 90s. Okay. I was being told I was this being in the 90s by Malachi, in the like 1996, Spell of Leviathan type of stuff. Like, and I was just I was kind of like freaked out by it because he was saying it was called a spell of Leviathan, a spell of Kingu. And he was saying the dirty, uh, the most darkest um secrets you know of curses in the spiraling boundless universe was cast upon black people and this is what keeps black people from coming together unifying like they were because we remember we were unified at one time and then it's like it's impossible for our people to come together now because something happened in the spiritual realm and with these beings on the planet and all the things that they doing with hip hop and then putting these demons in these artists and all these things. And you can see it clearly. But I was being told about it while I was young. So, I mean, the whole game is basically being infiltrated. All these uh, major record record labels. I know uh, I know at one point Seagram's Gen owned, owned six of the, of the major labels, mm-hmm. um, had a lot of artists. I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, uh, you know, with Cube and MCA and some of these more considered underground artists start doing these St. Ives commercials, man. And a lot of people, they was catching flack back then for, you know, being called sellouts. And you know what I mean? It was kind of out of their character. And a lot of people didn't understand that it was part of their contract just based on mm-hmm. that Stephen Jan connection. You know, um, so again, the whole game has been infiltrated, man. And I know a young lady, uh, that I've known for a long time and she was telling me I had been hearing rumblings and uh, whispers about things that was happening in the music industry about certain artists and and I already knew right from the beginning when Jay-Z came out and he told you know he said he don't he worship he don't worship God he worship God he you know he started talking about the devil worship and all that just right there on the on the <laughs> wax he wasn't trying to cover it up uh, I understood what was being said right then and there and you know what he was part of um but saying that to say there was a lady that I knew she she started hipping me to a lot. She was uh she ended up being a, a musical engineer and out there working out with some of these artists, man, out there uh in New York. And she was confirming a lot of these stories, man, you know, s- certain things, certain situations that she was, you know, personally witnessed. And uh it just was right in line with it. it of course it was just hearsay, uh, but it was right in line with some of the stuff that I had already been hearing, man, and some of the names she was dropping was you know at that time it was uh it was kind of mind-blowing right now you know 25 years later uh you know it's kind of par for the course as they say man uh because like i said the game has been infiltrated man now is there any artists out here man is there any quality artists left uh in what they call the hip-hop industry is anybody out there really doing real things or is just everybody compromised by this uh, everybody is compromised and i'm gonna tell you this you know, I used to be on Tamaray, Tamaray with Malachi, right? And 
everybody used to come to Tamaray. Like all the big artists of now, like this was in the 90s. Remember the Grave Diggers, uh, Wu Tang Clan, you had Nas, you had Jay Z, uh, Jazzo. Jazzo was Jay Z's mentor. Um, Jazzo, he used to follow Malachi real heavy. And you would see when Jay Z first came out, he was basically under Jazzo. And Jazzo brought him on, put him on. And if you look at some of those videos, uh, like the video of the originator You will see Jay-Z in the video But you will also see Malachi In the video at the end of the videos If you look in there You will see Malachi uh, They will show pictures of Malachi So everybody in New York Overstood the temple What they call the temple of Benny Zankin up in New York when Malachi was there. And when he came into Georgia uh, to and built Tamaray, they were all coming down. And we used to have Zed festivals on the land on Tamaray. Okay, now uh, everybody, you know, I, I met some everybody out there. Plug One um, from uh, De La Soul and all the, uh, all the guys that was the conscious MC conscious artists they were all coming to Tamaray. Erica Badu she used to come there uh, when she first came out all the information about 720 and all that they was getting all this stuff from Malachi and even even when Outkast was out you know they started referencing Malachi with a lot of Outkast music talking about AT Aliens and stuff like that Drake 3000 stuff he was dropping but they was getting five mics and they was doing articles and they had Malachi in the Source magazine Back in the day, most people don't remember that. Them five mics, they had Malachi in the Malik magazines. Uh, Malachi was also a, a mentor to uh, Dougie Fresh. Uh, he funded some movies and stuff for Dougie Fresh. Um, his son, uh, Yakub or uh, Jacob, Jacob York, who basically turned on him. You know, he used to uh, do tracks with uh, Biggie, Lil' Kim. Uh, Junior Mafia and all of them and he was mad at Malachi because he didn't want to fund certain projects Malachi he was real real particular about um, about artists and people and what he would put his energy behind he loved what Dougie Fresh would do because Dougie Fresh was clean he was a clean artist but he would always talk about the vulgarity of Little Kim and their music and what they're doing and how he don't like hip hop and how he can't stand it because of what it's doing and and it was a lot of controversy. But when Wu-Tang was dropping what was dropping, everybody was like, yo, Wu-Tang dropping crown knowledge. You know, KRS-One, all of these guys, even Ice Cube, you know, they was clean artists and they had some heavy stuff, you know, to say because most of the stuff was coming out of the schools of Tamaray. And I was there and a lot of the guys like Jay-Z, he chose to go a different route. Um, but he was under the teachings initially, and then he uh, he kind of like went his own way, separated, and then started making covenants with them. And uh, and the rest is history, really, as far as that is concerned. So they're all pretty much compromised. Like if you look at Rock Nation right now, you know that Desiree, Desiree uh, Perez is the CEO of Rock Nation. Now, if you don't know who Desiree Perez is, she's a double agent and an informant for the DEA and the feds. 
but she's the CEO of Rock hmm. Nation. So when you look at that and you say, okay, well, how did she become the CEO of Rock Nation? Because Rock Nation is just basically a government informant agency, a government record label that's controlled by the government. And it controls also the hip hop police who be arresting a lot of these guys when they doing shows and stuff. But this was something that Meek Mills were advertising because he knew that everybody had 360 deals. But you go into Rock Nation, you get the same thing. Meek Mills was trying to get everybody to go to Rock Nation just so they can get played for the same government agency 360 deal as the other record labels. Uh, going back to what y'all had said earlier, man, I think I think somebody done went into the future, man. <laughs> it's like they go into the future and it's like, oh, hell no, we can't have these people doing this. And they like, we gotta change some things. <laughs> and they go, man, and then mm-hmm. like I was and I said that going back to when you said when you were talking about the year two thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, like you said, man, everything just changed, man. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's crazy, man. I I mean skinny jeans and all that, I mean, teach his own, man, you know. Toe toenail polish, <laughs> blush, yeah, like makeup, and, dresses, tingling earrings. Yeah, but it, and, it's, and it's like now, like even like even the gangsters, like the ones that's in the gangs, you know they they you know they butt old pies and they turn around and be like, yeah, but we'll come we'll come at your house, we'll come shoot up your house. Mm-hmm. What you want to do? And it's like it's like what? Like what? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I understand and that. And we didn't. And and that was that was never done back in the day, especially with the OGs from back in the day. They would never come to your house and do that. They would always wait. They wouldn't go to your mama house and do nothing. It was like, nah, yeah, this mama house. They had a respect and it was a code for everything. But when you look now, niggas like Takashi 69, who is also another, you know, Rock Nation artist. You know, he he sn- now look at this. Takashi 69, he snitched. He signed the Rock Nation. Okay, he get 2 million views on Instagram Live. Okay, then he gets uh, 43.5 million views on his new hip-hop song. He broke Eminem's record by being a snitch in 24 hours. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Now you got Snoop and, and Meek Mill chiming in. You know, talking about you know, you know, uh, they glorifying being a rat and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's, and him it's, apologizing it's, to Gail and all that, so you know what they are a part of. You know, D Haven was talking about what Jigga did, him just getting out of prison, and I mean, the whole thing is corrupt and it's all messed up. And that's why I say, you know, we don't want anything to do with that public policy stuff and what they got going on. We we rather just do our stuff autonomous and independent. Everything that we are about, we know how to get things done, get things accomplished and, um, and really create a whole new movement because you know, we're not under their spell. Like most of the people under their mind control and their spell and they program to do all of these diabolical things with our arts and our sciences and it's it's the sad commentary. Don't 
the whole game, it was compromised a long time ago, man. And definitely 2000 something changed. Uh, I mean, just just out of curiosity, though, man, who was some of the who was some of the artists you was listening to, uh, Drizzle, back then, prior to back in the essence of hip hop, man? Who'd you come up, you know, uh, and... listening to the most? Back then, Outkast. Around that time, uh, basically, man, organized noise, like in general, organized noise. Um, uh, UGK, um, uh, Scarface, you know, Ghetto Boys, um, Wu Tang, LL, um, Nas. Um, definitely Nas. Um, <laughs> Mike Geronimo. I don't know where he came in, at, but yeah. <laughs> you remember well, him? Yeah, well, well, Drizm, Drizm, won't you share your experience, you know, with LA out west? Oh, it's about, uh, oh, well, um, yeah, to what type with LA Dre? Yeah. Yeah. Man, that was a situation where, uh, we was out. Out west, and um, I ran into a guy that was from Florida. This guy from Florida, he said that he was going to have an entertainment company in Atlanta. Um, and God bless the dead, he's dead now. He's passed already, made the transition. Um, he created this uh, company called Outhouse Entertainment, and it was out of Florida. Now, from that point, he said, I got a producer that's going to come in and make some music or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I didn't know that <laughs> that producer would end up being L.A. Dre. You know, that was on some of the, you know, the famous projects with, with, with Dr. Dre, with Michelle A. and a lot of those artists back then. And, man, he just, one day he was recording somebody and I was at the studio with some other guys and he's like, hey, What's up, young blood? Hey, um, you sing? I'm like, yeah. He said, you want to get on this track? And I said, I'll jump in. He, I said, what's up? He said, man, here with a hook right here. We already got a hook written already. I said, okay, I'll just go ahead and do that. Um, he pulled out the work for hire uh, form, whatever. I went ahead and signed it. And um, he gave me $500. So I went in there and did it or whatever. And then from that point, they got, they got to the point where we would go over there so much that there was like, Yo, we like what you guys are doing. We want to give you guys one of the rooms. So, like, as soon as you come in uh, past the receptionist to the right, it was our room. Their room, their big studio was in the back. And then they had the little dance hall area or whatever. So... But every time he would come in, he would just hear and hear music, hear music. Like, man, no cash, man, is really good. So one day, he was working on an R&B project with this artist. And at that time, name was Jawan, a female. Um, he asked me to get on a song with her. And we ended up making, it was a beat that we had made. And... From that point, he was like, man, I mess with you. So he took, he kind of took me on this wing. He wanted to sign me, but he ended up uh, passing at that time. Wow. And 
that's what I lost connection with that or whatever, man. But it was a real L.A. Dre was a bad guy, man. He would play. He knew that music, man. And the simple fact that I was able to read music and go in there with him in those studios and was and create some uh, new chords and stuff like that in the range. And it, it was it was a really really lovely thing, and I'm glad I was able to experience that. Yeah, that's big right there, man. Like, because <clears throat> I remember him with, you know, with all those ruthless records, Easy E Project, Too Short. Yep. You know, all those guys, man. I remember that back in the day, and he, he was another, another Dr. Dre, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He really was. He really was, man. And it's crazy, man. The plaques and and stuff like that, man, on the wall. I used to be like, yo, how, how did you do it? And he's like, man, that stuff was easy. <laughs> I don't even think people even knew how talented he was, like the newer people. But I mean, of course we know. But like, new people don't even know how talented he really was. So like, he, yeah, I, th- I feel like he helped change the game as far as musically. Yeah. He used, to, he, used tell, he used to tell me stories about shit. I mean, he worked about shit, man. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> yeah, he worked with a lot of legends out of there coming coming out of that whole scene out there. I mean, you talking about DOC. I mean, everybody was, you know, legendary <laughs> lineup of uh, artists, MCs. Yeah, you know, man, that DOC. Sure. Man, I still, I still got respect for that dude, man. Even though he lost his voice, but and gaining back, but I still have a lot of respect for that guy. Man, it's the Diggy Diggy Doc, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my joint. <laughs> exactly. I'm up there to this day. And Dre, Dre, Dre. Man, I miss the real stuff, man. Yeah, that's one of the greatest uh, tragedies in hip-hop. Was what happened to the DOC. I'm telling you, man. He really had like you got the surface. And then you end up losing the very weapon, the very gift, you know, that made you a legend. I was like, out of all the things you can lose, you know, he loses voice. That's deep to me, man. It might have been. <laughs> yeah, that is, man. I was, uh, I watched a few documentaries, man. What DLC was talking about, I think it's on that Vlad. Last TV man, they was they was talking about some of them old NWA stories, man, with some wild boys, man. Some of them stories he was telling, uh, they was into everything, man, and they was uh, at, the, at the top of the world. They was feeling untouchable, and you know sometimes things turn out like that, man. So you know that that is a tragic story. Uh, you know it's a bunch of you know in the hip hop game, and, and and you brought up uh, Pimp C a little a little while ago, man, and. Pimp C, you know, his his demise, everybody, you know, pretty much know uh, that, you know, he was out, he was speaking out, you know, after he came out, even before he came out the out the uh out the out the Bing, he was he was speaking out about what was happening in the game and who was really who and pointing things out, man. And uh of course he ended up on some uh, pretty peculiar type circumstances, man. And I know uh same thing around with, with Tupac, you know what I mean? He was Exposing a lot of things in the game, uh, some of that you know, mm-hmm. some of that dark, deep, dark stuff we was talking about earlier, and then just with with the police and the, all the snitches in the <laughs> game, man. And I just want to touch on Ti, man, because I know, uh, 
Well, I just, I, it just, no matter if it was in Ohio, if it was in New York, if it was in Texas, like when yeah. you go take the stand, you go take the stand. So he rose his hand and he did what he did. So, you know, yeah, he was, it did happen in Cincinnati. And uh, it just so happened that, you know, some of the people that he was beefing with, I'm real, I'm real close with uh, one of the guy's brothers, man. They end up going to the pen behind that. And, uh, I just know when T.I., cats like T.I., they come out and they talk these, you know, these gangster fairy tales on raps, that studio gangster stuff, you know, and influence a bunch of kids and, uh, you know, in, in the wrong direction and degrade women and, you know, just all that super gangster stuff that they talk about, man. And then when he came to the city, uh, he basically, you know, I just want to put it on the record out there, man, because I see everybody still be jocking T.I. like mm-hmm. he's somebody. And when he talk, he sound prolific. All right. <laughs> And, and it really, and it really, it really was solidified when, when he had a thousand, a thousand, uh, when he had, uh, when he had platinum hits, talking about so much what of a gangster he is. But then when he came to Cincinnati, he put him and his clique directly in the middle of some shit that that he started. And what ended up happening, of course, we know he lost his friend. You know, recipe to that guy. Uh, but, you know, T.I. ended up coming back up here and taking a stand, man, and testifying, man. And, you know, I get it. You know what I mean? But not for real. You know what I mean? Not when you not when you portray yourself to be a certain particular type of way. Uh, no snitching and, you know, all that type of stuff, man. So uh, it's big problems in the hip hop game. And I'm speaking I'm speaking strictly from the perspective of the next generation, man, and, and the influence they done have. You know, and, and we talked about 2000. Basically, you know, content-wise, you know, hip hop. Well, 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 let's, t- well, let's touch on the Ti thing that you was talking about. And, uh, um, you know, first of all, yeah, go ahead. If they want to talk about Takashi Six Nine, then hell, then he, then he might have been one of the first ones that 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 was still successful after Stenson did. Well, he like right. that guy right there, like, and people in Atlanta. I'm pretty sure King probably know it. This dude, he had created a one eight hundred tip line, mm-hmm. where people mm-hmm. can call in and give wow. tips on people that's doing certain things. So, I mean, you can't talk about snitching and then you just got a hotline. I, I, don't, I don't get that. Yeah, it's a lot of like I told you, the things in the game right now. It's like they at them crossroads, and 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 really, what they are actually into, um, it's it's called Hegelian dialectics. So basically, what Hegelian dialectics is is you'll have a, a artist that people like, and then that artist will say some good things to make agreeable and righteous people like him, right? But his agenda is to lead you into the same satanic order of things. So you have the agreeable and the disagreeable, but it's still leading you into the same satanic order of things. And that's what a lot of these guys are into. He galleon dialectics and um, what's the name? Prodigy from Mob Deep. He used to talk about it a little bit because he was another one that used to uh to that used to study malachi real heavy um back in the day and remember when um the uh what song was that um who shot you you remember uh the who shot you and then you remember ll cool j yeah. 
had them samples and stuff on there. Uh, and he had Prodigy and them um, in there. And then you remember, uh, you remember the line where Prodigy said, Illuminati control my mind, spirit, and my body. Mm-hmm. That was the first time. That was in 95. Right. That was the first time that people had heard about the Illuminati. And Prodigy got that from Malachi. Yeah, yeah, to piggyback on that, when you asked me some of the people I used to listen to, um, that they definitely was one of the ones, too. Yup. They were definitely, Shook, yeah, definitely Shook ones. Shook ones was the was the classic. And you know, that's legendary. Shook ones by Mob Deep. And uh and Prodigy, he was, you know, he he was one of the, the guys who was about that real. And a lot of those cats, man, that had issues with what was taking place in particular in New York because everybody saw the borough losing the reason why they saw the different boroughs losing in New York was because they had so many uh, cops double agents and they had so many snitches and they had so many people that were government informants you know just like the people up in New Jersey who you know who killed Malcolm X and all that it was a lot of that going on and it was real dirty in the quote unquote mecca of hip hop and it's still going on and it's really really messy and that's why New York has lost a lot of its luster in terms of music because of the infiltration well, and you got you got a million a million niggas on one block, man, and all these cats that's in the record industry, in the music game, and ain't none of them, you know, try to build their own, man. They all went for these record mm-hmm. deals, you know, with these with these labels. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And they didn't have to do that because we had the secrets and the science on how to be independent and how to do things. That's why in 2007, actually in 2006, when I first started doing High Resonance, I established a label, you know, in 2007 in Australia. And I knew the direction I wanted to go in with everything. And then I saw the direction that all of these other artists was going in under public policy. And there was no way I was going to sell my soul to a bunch of them fiction de facto individuals, you know, that don't look like us. Yeah, man. So if you, uh, you was a, if, so if I'm an up and coming artist, man, if I'm trying to start out, uh, you know, from scratch, there's a lot of guys that remained independent. And uh, was able to find success in that public policy, man. Um, and that, on that whole side of the ledger, dealing with the record label, I mean, I'll give an example of a guy, uh, E40, there's plenty of them, but you know, it was a guy that you know really just needed uh, distribution and marketing and uh, everything else, you know what I mean? He was he had taken care of, man, as far as establishing uh, his fan base and uh, you know, production and all that stuff. He had artists, he had a bunch of acts. Uh, some some similar to Master P, which is you know a, a, was a big key to his success, man. But if I'm starting out, if I'm somebody, man, and I'm trying to get into the game and I'm trying to avoid signing with one of these uh, 
companies, especially one of these 360 deals, man, like what, you know, what would be some of the very first steps that I need to do as an artist to be able to be structured business wise uh, to be able okay. to even try to step well, off into that game. The first thing would be is to contact us at Indigenous Entertainment. <laughs> That'll be the first thing. And then we give you the crowd juice, the, the direction to go. You know how to be your own boss, how to establish things, to yeah. alleviate dealing with public policy because obviously it's a bad idea, and it's only being exposed now because it's the time for it to be exposed. So a lot of the people that want to come out with real gifts and talent and skills, you know, we will give people the real guidance and direction you know from the private sector and how to set things up to you know main you know get all your royalties mechanical royalties and get everything that you're supposed to have without selling your soul and giving everything to these these major record labels that are primarily culture vultures and they make a lot of money off of our people selling their soul because our people don't understand business or don't overstand business or don't ultra stand business now, the music business or the industry because it's a business first before everything else so what we do is help people to understand how to do business because even if you're doing business under public policy you're going to have to pay the piper. You're going to have to pay the government a lot. You're going to have to pay taxes and a whole bunch of stuff. It's a lot of things that go on in that type of framework. So what we do is just basically give people guidance and direction on how you should set things up, how to be more independent and have all of your rights, you know, to everything. And you want to continue to get paid off of your music for the rest of your life. So we assist people with doing that and we just give people the crown jewels that they need, you know, and we uh, me and Drizm was talking about this because there's a lot of artists that want to get into the business. And we was talking about different contracts we would do, you know, showing them um, how we do business. So if they really want to get into it, you know, we here, you know, we here to give everybody the right information the right knowledge and then help the artists get to the level of distribution that they want on a global scale because we are more global and international artists than we are local and domestic artists and when you do that global platform it, it pretty much filters down to the local one you know so that's how we approach it everything is international in scope and we have a variety of ways of of doing what we do so we we enjoy what we do the whole movement we like helping artists um develop so we got a, a really good artist development platform and infrastructure and as drizm said you know i was our circle is small and tight you know with real with real people you know we like to just have real people that are genuine and we don't really deal with the fakeness like fake people so we just say look you know we are real people and we building something very unique and we want to hold that energy that we had in the 60s of, of unity and substance and power um just like you know james brown was when he did i'm black and i'm proud and uh and you know he had one of the best deals in the history you had uh james brown 
um who else uh and ray charles ray charles and james brown they had two of the best deals in the history of music they had better deals than frank sinatra and um you know and some people saw some of that on ray but james brown and ray charles they was very very smart guys and they learned a lot of things from the private sector and they were they were really really powerful businessmen that's what's up man i got a few i got a few cats that's that's listening i know uh i know the outreach is is growing um i'm definitely gonna be sending a few cats your way um as far as uh get, getting established the right way the, the best way I, so you was talking about the international uh and, and just just having that global outreach man what what are some of some of these other countries man that are uh that are picking up on Man, some of that high resonance. So many of them. Uh, but movement. the primary ones we can start with, where you get your embracing. You know, when you're doing stuff on this level and it's good music, the UK primarily is going to be one one great spot. You're gonna uh, the Netherlands. The Netherlands. Uh, you're going to get a lot of Japan. Uh, a lot of, of course, a- Asia all together. You're going to get a lot from the Philippines. You're going to get a lot from Australia, you're going to get a lot from Canada. Um, and these are, this is consistent people who really enjoy great music. So when you think about music, music is not dead, you know, um, to the international world. And they, they understand real hip hop. I mean, no matter what their ages are, you know, like my biggest fans worldwide, man, or people that don't look like me, but primarily white people from different places all over the world but different nationality and races that don't even look like they listen to hip hop or high resonance or anything but they are your biggest supporters in every way you know um and on number 1 music as well which was what well, it was presented to me from a UK platform and I've been utilizing that ever since but it's a lot it's a lot of global good music man and the people in the uk they know really good music you know how the midwest you know how the midwest is saturated with great producers right and you go into the uk it's the same story they are very universal and they are amongst the best producers and songwriters in the world the uk production artists music big netherlands really really big and then the midwest having the best producers as well they understand music better than almost everybody else man yeah man that's uh midwest uh you know it's it's kind of special in that region just because you get an influx of everything man from from all over man all over the country man all the hot spots west coast east coast and definitely down south um, but drizzle, man. Let me let's let, tell me about your. Let me tell me tell me about your album. I know it's coming out. Uh, you can give us some details on that, man, and uh, what to look for. Any any kind of key information about your album, man. Go ahead and give it a plug if you don't mind. Yeah, I was just gonna say, man. Go ahead and uh, if you could tell us about your album, man, and uh, track everything for sure. So I got that posted on MMAH.com. 
Uh, I've done played it on a couple of the uh, uh, the podcasts. Some intro music, man. But go ahead and tell them what they're in for, man. Man, with the album, man, that that would be crazy. Um, Right now, uh, um, me and King, we sat down. Uh, Right now, I I may do an EP or a full album, but this year, what I really wanted to do is just release like a bunch of singles. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to release a bunch of singles and because uh, as far as the album, I really don't yeah, yeah. have a title for the album or whatever, but I do have a lot of songs recorded. And so I'm still trying to figure out where I want to go as far as putting a bunch of songs collectively together to call it an album or not. But the next track, like from that track, my next track is like a pop song. But it's, I guess you would say hood pop. <laughs> okay. and, and not pop pop but yeah so like I just, I just gotcha. do a lot of different things and I want uh, people fans or whatever to just realize that I'm not going to give you the same thing every time but it's going to be great and that's to me that's the expression of being an artist and to be able to do different things and, and do different genres of music because like right now uh, in the category of other, I'm ranked number 20. But they're not going to tell you that on the radio. You know what I'm saying? I'm not being played on the radio, but I don't even care about all that because they'll be catching up. Yeah. I'm not trying to catch up with them. They'll catch up with me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 So uh, are you working with anybody? And, you know, as far as, uh, you know, continuing that homegrown Concept, concept of bringing uh bringing new artists up, man, and bringing them up the right way. You got is anybody that you've been working on, or really kind of been uh, shaping and molding as far as the um, artists? You know, yeah, so there's some artists that, that I've been, that I've been working with, but I've been mostly working with them like online, especially since the quarantine thing. Um, just just really helping them with um like record yeah, techniques yeah. because I am an engineer as well. So, so just been kind of helping them with different recording techniques and right. and how they can actually uh, structure songs in different ways versus the regular uh, verse, hook, verse, hook, mid, bridge, or whatever. Um, I guess as far as in the song structure. But um, I haven't really been really working with nobody right now, man. Just, just trying to just keep the energy self-contained and not spread it too much right now. But um, I will be working with other artists. Yeah. I want to. I want to do things with different artists. I don't want to just do the, the the same thing that I've always did. You know what I'm saying? I want artists with newer sounds. Um, e- even if they're doing some of the stuff that's out now, I mean, I'm not going to knock anybody and say that I won't jump on the track with them as long as it's hot. I'm. I get on it. So, if anybody want to reach out to me, you know, at the official drizzle at gmail.com and um, they can even send me a track or whatever. I'll bless it, send it back to them or whatever, and I'll leave my contact information from there. Uh, definitely, you you on you on anchor. Uh, yeah, you got the social anchor media profile um, now. Uh, you yeah, got I'm any social Instagram. media handles? And also, um, I'm also on Facebook. Um, uh, all the links, if they go to the number one music, Drizzle, okay. all of my links will be in there and my bio. And they can just contact me through that. 
All right, man. Uh, we we lost King, man. I'm gonna get him back on, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna end it real. I'm gonna end it here in a minute. But does anybody want to shout out anybody out there? Uh, God got us, man. We're gonna get past this point right here, and everybody right. get out here and get back out here in the world, and let's continue to keep doing what we're doing to stay safe out here in these streets. Without a doubt, man. You 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 a big you intricate part of, of what's going on with Indigenous Entertainment, the whole IWV. MMAH.com and Trishan Wars collaboration. It's all family. I've been dealing with King for quite a while, man. And uh, it was definitely a pleasure to finally link up with you, man, and uh, make it official. And I, like I said, you got a home here always, man. Anytime you want to get on, uh, you got something you want to get off your chest, man. Something that you want, if you always want to drop a message, man, and you want it to be plugged in the show, if you can't tune in, you can do it that way through the Anchor app. Uh, but for sure, man, I definitely uh, look forward to the in-person, uh, uh, finally meeting you in person at one point eventually, man. But I definitely appreciate you getting in here and you got my number. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that anytime, you know, you know my hours, you know what I mean? My yeah, family. that's cool, man. Uh, uh, like I say, so man, it's a pleasure having you, family. I'm really doing interviews for a while. So just to get back into it and, and stuff like that is uh, pretty cool. And I'm definitely uh, look up, man. I'm gonna try to come up there. I'm gonna try to come up there, man. I'm gonna get with King or whatever, man. We we, we gonna pop up on you. Yes, sir, man. For real. Until next time. That's what's up. I'll be around, fam. Till next time, man. To to each his reach, and I'm definitely gonna send you this link, man. Oh yeah, uh, man. To, uh, yeah, to and the play website. Uh, post, man, like, and, play uh, it, man. The, play the, the hell out of it, man. For real, man. That that's for the ones who think they know everything. That's good stuff, brother. Yeah, I man. Even, that, like, even that with that, man, like, end, man, and that's that track. The too. selection of that track sure. is going back to what we was talking about around that time or whatever before the two thousands, man. Just being able to like have that true hip hop kind of feel, right? You know, what I'm saying with those raspy vocals on there, man. It's just, it just, and then that message mm-hmm. is just crazy, man. And because that just crazy, that message is really a message not just to just a particular situation. But as you look at the youth, man, it's like and how they're coming up and they're thinking, you know, they think that life is a game, man. And and sometimes as right. as um adults, they, they think that we're knocking mm-hmm. them and we're not knocking them. We just don't want them to go through the things that we had to go through. And you know what I'm saying? And yeah, they're making life hard for themselves when they don't have to. So we're not preaching yeah, and whatever we're teaching. And they don't take it like that. And I just wanted to just put that story kind of like in a context to where a person can see that by not paying attention to what um, elder or people that are older than you that have been through things are saying that, you know, bad things can happen to you. You know, it don't have to be whether, whether you're in jail or dead. And as you can see now, what's going on with, you know, the young black community and people being shot and gunned down is, you know, we got to get it together, man. Yeah, start with us, man. And you're right. Everything you said, uh, graveyards and penitentiaries, they full of uh, people that, uh, you know, made some mistakes, man, and, you know, made that made that wrong choice. Uh, maybe didn't take heed when they should have, man, or just got caught in a bad situation, wrong place, wrong time, man. But either way it go, you know, we're trying to put a stop to that, man. We're trying to rearrange people thinking, man, and get them on the right track. So, again, the the, the music, the music aspect is definitely 
uh, an intricate piece to that, uh, you know, as well as the rest of everything, uh, you know, involving the, the, the cooperative movement, man. So, again, uh, it's an intricate, you playing an intricate role in that, man, and definitely being able to get that message across to the youth, bringing that old soul with some of that new, that new school, uh, original oh, yeah, G man. type oh, flavor, yeah. man. And, you know, uh, that definitely, oh, yeah, man. With oh, me. we definitely have more coming, man. And another thing, too, you said, you said the graveyards were full. Yeah, the only thing the only thing that ain't full is the FEMA coffins. <laughs> and with this coronavirus, they, they got to get their numbers up. That's why they're trying to open up the state, open up the country. They need to get they need to get them numbers up. Ain't enough people dying. You right. You you got that right. You got that right, man. We I mean we talk about that a little bit. We can get into some more on that, man. You can come on back. You know what I mean? We can just get on that topic because that's you know that's. That's deeper. That's deeper than the ocean, right there, man. Just all the levels in that, and uh, even I, like I said, I'll be more than happy to have you on there because uh, that's definitely what time it is, and that's what's happening, man. And people need to look out the window, man, and understand what what they're looking at, uh, and stop embracing these ways, man. These old ways, of, you know, racism and the politics and the capitalism, man, things that don't work, and you know, essentially is why we all in the situation that we in now, man. So uh, it's a lot of layers to it. And I don't, I don't, and definitely coronavirus is not just, you know, the only layer attached. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a distraction uh, for what's really taking place, man. And, uh, yeah. you know, which is, which is a, which is exactly. a hyperdimensional, you know, intergalactic war. And uh, we've been talking about that. So uh, it's definitely, it's definitely, you know, key when we're talking about resonating to a higher level. I mean, this is what the, that movement is about. That's what I'm really on. I'm I'm really on that, you know, the real life situations, what's going on now type thing. And like you say, you know, what's behind the curtain, you know, I, you know, because at the end of the day, I really just feel that. And it's time to see how people react. Right. You know, what trying to issue in the, the one world government. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, you definitely, you definitely just uh, count on it, man. I, I'll get you a time frame here in the next, uh, you know, 36 hours or something, 20, I try to make it within the next 24, man. I got to set some things up based on uh, the traffic in and out of my house, man. But uh, we'll get it set up and I'll send you the link, you know, right, that's the same cool. as I did tonight. And, we, you know, we'll get it, we'll get it slapped. Okay, man, King, 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 get back on, man. I'm going okay, uh, to jump man. off here we'll and go pick up. up my son, man. So I'm going to go ahead and end it. And, uh, Okay, then. Hey, this was the Trishan Wars Podcast. I appreciate everybody listening, all the listeners, UK, Ireland, Cali, Michigan, New York, Florida, all y'all out there listening, Ohio for show, South Carolina, Texas. Uh, link up, listen to us, check us out here at Trishan Wars Podcast, Digital Entertainment. Uh, you just you just heard Young Drizzle. Uh, check out the check out the track, everything uh, on MMAH.com. And uh, we'll be back with you next time on Crown Jewel Season, episode eight.